do have a quip. We'll both have a quip. It's just cadaver. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 153. A normal one today because you've got myself, Chase Williams, and then across the TV screen, we have the man we call Piopi. Piopi, how you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing I'm, well. Uh, I... Just coming fresh in from California over your neck of the woods, man. How was the weather? It was fantastic, dude. I was realizing <laughs> that it's so ridiculous that you get to kind of just like wake up in a geography and be like, oh yeah, the weather will be perfect again today. Yo, every day. <laughs> Walk and outside. Came, oh wow, the skies are back, blue. I came back and it's like in Houston and I guess it's, I don't know, 10 degrees hotter than when I left it and it's just stuck there now. And I'm like, God oh. Damn it. <laughs> so you so it basically made the transition into early summer while you were gone. Yeah, basically. Because that sucks. Because we actually had like a pretty nice spring here, but yeah. it's gone. It is behind us now. That blows. I'm honestly excited to get uh, into hearing about your trip to L.A. It's good to have you back. Last episode, of course, was a little uh, different, really fun for me. I hope everybody enjoyed it, having all those OK Beast guys on there. Hunter, I want to thank you for editing it. You said it took you about, like, what, 45 extra minutes, you said, to get all that yeah, together? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was because, you know, there's a little... Uh, I mean, when you have four people doing it over the same podcast in remote locations... like Three different countries? Oh Yeah, three different... That's what I was thinking to myself. I was like, dude... This is three different international locations yeah. that we we're. It's like this is high level shit right here. It is, dude. I but, like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's inherently like gonna be a little lag that you have to account for sometimes, and and I was also just listening to it. I also just thought it was an enjoyable podcast. They were. They did um, so well. I was so yeah, happy to have they're them. They're like on. Natu- natural banter boys, you know. Right. They got so. banter in their blood. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a really good time. I do want to give a shout out to OK Beast because as of the day we're recording, Monday the fourteenth. They just launched uh, launched a Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash okbeast, you can pledge to their website. And I think they're raised over like 260 bucks a month at the time of this recording at, right now. So huge congrats to them. They've Sick, yeah. constantly been pushing forward on their vision for that website and it's really cool to see them constant uh, excuse me, constantly grow. Yeah, that is sick. I wish I wish I knew anything about how to like make Build. a cool website or like yeah. even graphic design just kills me. <laughs> Build a fall. Yeah, dude, I know. It's like, it's not even that difficult either. It's really just about learning the tools. It's like, if you open Photoshop, you're like, I don't know what to do, even though I have all these ideas in my head of what I want to do. And mm-hmm. it's just learning the tools and yeah. the tools are as deep or as shallow as you want them to be. And you know, that's, that's pretty much it. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel yeah. It that is the thing about watching those guys grow so much is you get to see the return on effort, and it makes you it. They keep me honest, honestly. Like they they constant. I tell this tell them this all the time. They push me to continue to write or continue to do things because I want to keep up with them, and and that's mm-hmm. a really cool influence to have. You know. Yeah, they've been a great uh, you know set of buds to kind of. I don't know, link on to over, yeah. over time. Ride fun. in their jet stream. Yeah. <laughs> Ride into the mists of Avalon. And I will also say, um, by the time this episode goes up, we, we will have put on the Witty Banter YouTube channel the full recording of the live stream that we had, which was Witty Banter versus OK Beast and Dragon Ball Fighters. So if you missed that and you wanted to watch it or you want to rewatch it, just go to our YouTube page. We'll have the full thing up there. 
Sick. That's that's news to me. That's exciting. I'm yeah. gonna go watch that. <laughs> Breaking shit, man. All right. So Hunter, uh, Woody Banter, known for alcoholic beverage reviews, and I see you've got a beer over there. What are you drinking today, my man? I do. It is the 903 Brewers Winter Sasquatch. I don't know why. I guess like two of the past three beers that I've had, I've yeah. had Christmas ones. That's what I'm saying. You've been in like I know you're a stout man, and I think you're you're actually just adopting that into your heart now. <laughs> It's like it's not it's going it's going nowhere. It's just uh, d- digging a deeper trench. But sure. uh, yeah, so on the back, spiced milk stout, the perfect dessert for winter, only in liquid form. This intoxicating array of aromas and flavors of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies mixed with spices is sure to warm you up. Hmm. Blah, blah 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 blah. So <laughs> they have a chocolate lot more stuff chip in there. Cookies, huh? Chocolate chip cookies. Give me a chocolatey <laughs> one. I wonder if that means it's going to have like a bready or like, how do you get a doughiness into a beer? You know? I, yeah. A, a doughy would not be one that I would think of. Cause I think inherently when I think of doughy, I also think of sticky. Right. Or well, have you or, taken a sip yet? I haven't. I'm going to, I'm going to, well then let me you. introduce what I've got going on here. Go. I, I was telling people about trying to branch out into other spirits. It just so happened Darian opened a nice old bottle of wine right before the episode. I looked at her and I said, am I reviewing wine today? She was like, you'd be stupid if you weren't. (laughs) So she poured me up a glass and this is going to make Witty Banter's first ever wine review. I am drinking a Sangiovese from a winery called Unti, U-N-T-I. And we actually got this bottle from the winery when we went and visited Sonoma a couple years ago. Um... So this is a big, deep red wine. Sangiovese is a Euro, I mean a um, an Italian grape, and it's like a classic Italian grape that has. Uh, it can be like it can be taken in a lot of different directions. You can have it in what's called like a super Tuscany, which is sort of like a big Cabernet style Italian wine, or you can just go the classic like Chianti. You'll have a lot of Sangiovese there. Uh, so it's a very malleable. Grape and dude, I'm gonna give it my best shot on this review, man. We're gonna just roll. We're gonna see what we can do, man. I'm like sitting over here on the other side, listening to you talk about Sangiovese and the grapes and where it was grown <laughs> and shit. And I'm like a proud parent. Like we literally <laughs> been like we've literally been talking about doing that since we first started. Like one day maybe we'll like venture into wines and shit. And now we're finally here, Chase. Dude, it's been like f- almost four. <laughs> it's been four and a half years since I the know. prophecy came true, man. I'm so proud. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But all right, tell me about uh, your first sips of your beer, and then I'll and then we can we can get out of here. Um, first sips, uh, just it's not as so like you know I had that Christmassy one lo- not long ago, and I was saying you know it's got a lot of like gingerbread or like cinnamony kind of stuff. While all that stuff is being kind of uh, toted or touted in this review or in this um, self review on their can. It's not as like crazy spice Christmassy stuff, yeah. so I'm gonna wait for it to kind of open up a little bit more for really kind of. Is it like a little? Wall. Is it is it thinner than the last one in that way? Just kind of like lighter in viscosity, Actually, or maybe even the opposite. Maybe huh. even a little thicker, but a little less just like gingerbread, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> one trick pony. Okay. Well, hey, man. Before we get to the news this week, you just got back from from L.A. and you had a pretty long trip out there. I actually didn't realize how long you were staying because I was hitting you up about editing stuff and or even recording the podcast. And you're like, I'm still out in L.A. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit. All right. 
Um, so yeah, how long did you stay out there? And give me some of the highlights of what you did, and I'm gonna I might have a few questions for you. Okay. So quick overview is that we stayed in downtown LA for like three days. Uh-huh. And then we transferred to uh, an Airbnb in Santa Monica for three days. Nice. And so it was kind of crazy because in both instances, we were in a place where normally on other days in the week, it's way more populated and way more like stuff going on. So I was, we were in downtown LA on the weekend. And yeah. apparently in downtown LA, there's not shit going on. Like there's not a whole lot of people out and about doing stuff, I guess, because it's downtown. That's weird. That's yeah. not what I, I mean. Do you mean just like walking on the actual streets or do you mean like driving? Well, uh, pr- pretty much both. I mean, we were just walking around. We went to Little Tokyo. We went to like this place called, um, I actually don't know. It's, it's like the Central Market or the Grand Central Market where they have like a bunch of these different restaurants and stuff. And it was just like there weren't that, that many people around. Damn, and I was just kind of surprised. Yeah, I have to imagine that, like, I don't know why either, but that sounds to me like you got really lucky, you know? Yeah, and, and it was funny, too, because, like, every single Uber driver that we had was like, oh, man, well, it's it, L- downtown L.A. is doing well now, but it was a shithole a few years ago. <laughs> like, right? every like, oh. single person, as though they had coordinated it, talked about that. Um but yeah, it was really enjoyable. One of the things that we did um, was we rolled ice cream. So oh, like, right. I've, it's I've like heard about ch- this. It's like the chill bocce. It's basically you have a hibachi table, but instead of it being on fire, it's freezing. So mm-hmm. you kind of like take this cream, chop your stuff up, make your ice cream and roll it up. Spread and it, it out, right? it was pretty dank. Yeah, it was pretty good, man. Like I got to put some CTC in mine, a little like CTC. peanut butter, like... Even some pretzels if I wanted, though. So <laughs> nice. That, Fuck that yeah. was pretty fun. And then, like, when we were in Santa Monica, we basically just like were outside, kind of like taking it easy. We did parasailing. That was like the Dude. one big thing that we did. And how was that? It was cool. Like, I was kind of nervous because they were like, oh, do you want the uh, 800 foot rope or the 500 foot rope? And I was like, 800 feet? <laughs> you know, like, that is ridiculous because, like, I think the Eiffel Tower is like 1,000 feet. And so. Um, but then after a while, like whenever I got up there, I was like, oh, we're not going to go 800 feet vertically in the air. Like 800 feet is the rope. So we were probably like still 350 feet in the air, which is like, this is, you're just basically sitting behind a boat, right? And you got a big parachute going. Yeah. Yeah. We were going across like the, uh, Santa Monica pier and the Venice beach pier or whatever. Dude, that shit's wild because you're at, you're literally so tall that you can see like the shadows of the clouds below you, like Mm -hmm. very (laughs) distinguishably. And like, it's, it's impossible not to have thoughts of like, yeah, I could die right now. I could literally fall (laughs) off of this and I would be dead. Yeah, it would hurt at the very least. And it was kind of crazy, too, because, like, when you're that high up there, you know, when you're on the boat going kind of fast along the waves, it's like, you know, you're, like, kind of going fast. Yeah. But then when you're up there, it's just like. Yeah, you're totally clueless. (laughs) You're just kind of hanging out. You're like, we don't feel like we're going fast at all. So, so when you stayed fun. in Santa Monica, I mean, is was the general approach just every night to just kind of find a good spot to eat and hang out? Because L.A. and the L.A. area is known for their cuisine and, and not cuisine in like a certain type of food, but they just have an extreme amount of good food, but also good like street food. So food that is extremely expensive or food that is extremely cheap, but uh, like really delicious. So like, how was that for you? Yeah, so um, admittedly, we did not have any street food. Um, And honestly, like, 
we we didn't spend a lot of time like we didn't just blow out all of our meals. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we kind of were doing stuff and then based off of what we were doing and where we were, we would get what seemed the most reasonable in that particular area. We ended up right. having like a burger that was at this place called Electric Owl on I think Hollywood Boulevard and it was really good. Um, you know, better I mean, than Hop Dotty. I liked it better than maybe maybe Hop Dotty. I haven't had right. Hop Dotty in a while, but it was like one of the best burgers I've had. Hell yeah. Um, we went to a Mexican restaurant for Cinco de Mayo, which it wasn't dude, as I, good as most Mexican restaurants in Texas, in my opinion. But sure, I dude, I partied pretty hard on Cinco de Mayo. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we, really hard. we we tried a few different things, but we just kind of wanted to try like local spots that had good reviews and that were stuff that we felt like we would like. You know, it was nice. good. Everything we had yeah. was good. I mean, my last question is: when I was in LA. It was so wide and expansive that the city just seemed to go on and on forever. Like you could see the downtown skyline, but everywhere else was just constant streets, constant businesses. And it honestly reminded me a lot of the Houston sprawl in that Mm -hmm. way. Did you get any of that kind of vibe? Like any sort of connection between those two cities and how they're sort of set up and just how big they are? Yeah, I mean, I think the main, the big differences with L.A. versus Houston is obviously the weather, one, but two, also, like, vertical elevation changes. You know, you have, like, these yeah, big hilly. downward sloping, upward sloping hills in L.A., and it's just flat as can be in Houston. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, we went to Skyspace, uh, which is basically, like, the highest perspective in L.A. to kind of look around and stuff. And uh, it just seems way more packed right yeah. like it's like yeah houston is sprawling but in more of like an expansive sense whereas yeah. like i just felt like la was just packed as far as the eye could see with stuff super dense yeah and there and on top of that like there's just so much like wall art and like it was it was maybe a little less clean than houston probably actually very much so less clean than houston but there was so much like wall art and I don't know. I, I felt a little more tangibleness of like kind of culture or like general feel of like how the city is, whereas Houston's right. just kind of it's like, like kind of more a shit ton of buildings. Almost. Yeah, a lot more expressive. Well, cool, dude. Do you uh, you see yourself going back anytime soon? You want to give any of the banter nation maybe like a a hot little three point list of what they should do in L.A. Okay. Uh, I mean. I really thought that the chill bocce thing was pretty cool. Like making your own ice cream. I just don't know where else you can do that. Yeah. I don't, that's not really that. that's not really like a L.A. thing. But you know they have a L.A. headquarters, and I don't think they have one in Houston. So you know that that was something that was really fun. Um, we really wanted to go to the Griffith Observatory. We didn't get to. Oh yeah. But we did go to the Broad Museum, which was really cool. Um, in fact, we went to the Broad and we went to the Museum of Contemporary Art. And I'll wagon wheel this later, but I definitely liked the Broad more than the um, the Museum of Contemporary Art because I think everything was just a little bit like easier to appreciate, I guess, yeah. however, for whatever reason. And then the third one, th- third point, I'm going to wait until after we start the, the news segment. Right on. Well, let's go ahead and get it fucking rolling. This is Witty Banter. <laughs> All right, man, you've been uh, you've been explaining, you've been talking. So I'll kick us off with the first news story. We are going back old school style, uh, keeping the witty banter spirit alive. We're doing some quick fire news today. 
quick fire news. Yeah. And this first one comes from the New York Times, and the headline I thought was pretty creepy. It says, Alexa and Siri can hear this hidden command, and you can't. <laughs> and it reads, uh, over the last two years, researchers in China and the United States have begun demonstrating that they can send hidden commands that are undetectable to the human ear to Apple's Siri and Amazon's Alexa and Google's Assistant. Inside university labs, the researchers have been able to secretly activate the artificial intelligence systems on smartphones and smart speakers, making them dial phone numbers or open websites. In the wrong hands, the technology could be used to unlock doors, wire money, or buy stuff online simply with music playing over the radio. And so they go on to say that a group of students... <laughs> yeah, check this out. So a group of students from the University of California, uh, Berkeley... And Georgetown University showed in 2016 that they could hide hidden commands in white noise played over loudspeakers and through YouTube videos to get smart devices to turn on airplane mode or go to a website or do whatever. Oh, my God. I don't need that information. <laughs> that kind of fucking stress, man. Do you, so, have, uh, do you have an Alexa? I don't have an Alexa. Me neither. I do have a Siri. I don't use it very often other than sports. Right. But the idea that, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you could have some sort of like cryptographic, you know, arbitrary audible sound wave or something that could set off this shit. But yeah. that sucks. Because <laughs> I mean, if we can't hear it, then how are we ever like that's cause for constant paranoia. Dude, I've just never been on board with Alexa or anything like it because the moment it was introduced was right around the same time that I was like fed up with my fucking Xbox Connect <laughs> and having to talk to that bullshit <laughs> and just thinking like, God, the future is so stupid, you know? And then like when it came out and just everybody, like, as soon as I went home, my parents had one and then they bought my grandparents one and my grandparents bought my uncle one. It just became this hot item to give as a gift and next thing you know everyone had one and it's just like yeah check it out alexa do this thing <laughs> and of course they're doing they're having the same struggles where they can't get the thing to work and i'm like yeah the future sucks why did you buy into this and then i read this article and i'm like i'm so happy i'm letting this just move past me because fuck that sounds ridiculous i agree and i think it's one i think it's hilarious because it automatically puts us in this like we're the old balls trying to talk to the technology thing. We're like, I remember when my dad first got like voice command in his car and he's like, uh, please turn to <laughs> channel 97, <laughs> nine, you know, please you're like, turn. you just look, you just, excuse me, sir. Like putz. <laughs> uh, and, car. and you know, I actually, um, Mandy's dad bought us a Google home little pod. Yeah. I unplugged that shit. I don't, yeah. I, mean, I don't, I like, we had it plugged in. We tried to do some stuff. Mandy would be like, you know, play 90s music playlist. And right. then it would start playing some country stuff. I'm like, God dang it, you know, come on. Like, or like <laughs> you just like wouldn't know what you asked for. And yeah, I mean, I think in the same way that I think autonomous driving has a lot of sophistication to go through, I think yeah. that, you know, the feedback and, you know, as you kind of covered on the uh, last episode, like the Google I.O. assistant, they're obviously getting yeah. better at voice feedback and all this kind of stuff. But I think there's going to be a, another level of sophistication that needs to happen before f talking and interacting with something like Alexa or Siri 
is not only more secure, apparently, because we got to have white noise buffers and shit, but also because I just hate talking to it. Me too. Having to say the name over and over again, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, for me, I just feel like that it is a fad, but watching them be so successful and popular and stick around, and I guess, I guess for me, being in a house, I don't feel the need or the compulsion to need every thought that I have of like, oh, I should write that down, actually come to fruition, right? Like, I don't feel it necessary that I need some fucking assistant in my house that can change the radio for me, you know, like. And I personally don't know what the end case is, like what the end use case is for these things, like when they're in their final form. But risks like this and the fact that I feel like I'm being spied on just don't justify it for me. So. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think when we have a lot more capability with automation and stuff, like once, like, you know, you were talking about like, I just want a chore bot. Right. Yeah. If we have a chore bot and on top of it, the chore bot is sophisticated enough where you're sitting at home watching a movie and you're like, oh, shit, I forgot. Hey, chore bot. And it's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you're like, I, I need you to do this thing for me. OK. And they're like, totally got it. Right. Got this <laughs> it's, not, it's not like, hello, Hunter. Oh, I would love <laughs> yeah. to do that for you here. We are washing the dishes. Yes. Thank you. Please choose from three different modes. <laughs> Oh man! All right, that was my first uh, article, so I'll 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 hand it to you now. Okay, well, um, I guess to kind of close out what I was saying, things you should do in California. It was also just kind of like this thing that I hadn't heard of that I thought was really cool that was being implemented in Santa Monica, and they had this thing called Bird. Have you heard of this? Like a Bird app? No, I have to say that I have not heard of Bird. You haven't heard the Bird? No, the, heard not, the word? Uh, the word has not gotten to me. <laughs> So, dude, we were in Santa Monica, and we're like, we were thinking somehow we need to cruise up and down the beach, right? Somebody Mm. was like, you should get a car and just, like, drive, you know, with your top down. And I'm like, I don't want to freaking rent a car to arbitrarily drive up and down the beach. No way. (laughs) And then I was also thinking about bikes, but it was funny because, like, the Airbnb place that we went had bikes, but, like, it was, like, you know the hardest of hard seats in the crappiest angle into your junk. (laughs) And it was like too big for Mandy. So she was just like, couldn't even keep up with it. (laughs) And so I was like, well, bikes are kind of like, we're kind of disenchanted with bikes at this point. And then we see these people, like a shit ton of people riding around on electric scooters. Here we go, dude. I can't believe we're talking about this because this literally pertains to my top three. So let's go. (laughs) Let's fucking go. Okay. So, we see a shit ton of people on scooters, and not only that, we see scooters just, like, randomly scattered across the city. Yeah. And we were like, okay, so what's this about? We go over to the scooters, and apparently there's this app called Bird that you download, and you just sign up, you put, like, you know, your information to be able to pay it if you need its services, and you go up and you just kind of put your phone camera up against this barcode that's on an electric scooter, and it unlocks it. And it's like a dollar to start and 15 cents per minute. And you, you just go and you see how much battery the scooter has and you just use it. And then whenever you're done with it, you just freaking put the kickstand down and leave it there. Right. Yep, wherever you want. And it was pretty sick, dude, because you just like we literally just cruised up and down the Santa Monica piers. Like we probably went like 10 miles Damn. over the course of like an hour. And 
it was just pretty cool, you know? Like, we we got to do what we wanted to do. We got to cruise all up and down the beach. It was, like, fast enough to where it was, like, okay, like, I don't feel like I'm going slow. But it was, and like... It's also fun, right? Yeah, it's fun. You don't have to, like, worry if you, um, if you press the gas all the way. You're not going to go too fast. And it was easy, right? Like, Mandy was kind of, like, her bike was too big. And, like, neither of us ride bikes very often. So we were, like, not super comfortable being on the streets with bikes and stuff. But this just made it easy. You could hop on, hop off easy. Even if you kind of mess up, you can kind of, like, catch yourself and jump off. And, and yeah, you just, when you're done with it, just freaking park it. Say I'm done. It's locked. You paid, like, $3 for the last 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, dude, this is... Awesome! I couldn't believe yeah. you're a believer how, in it. How sa- yeah, how satisfying it was, and so I, I don't know. I just thought it was it was recent enough where I don't think that many people have heard about it. So I'm kind of considering it a news item. Like, right? I would be uh, the same thing happened to me where I was like, "What the hell is that?" And then I would be riding in, and everyone all over the city is like, "What is that? Like, how do we do that?" Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It was just like kind of a cool thing that I wasn't expecting that was refreshing. Yeah, they're. They're all over San Diego right now. And there's also these bikes that work literally the same way. You scan it with your phone. You get on your bike. You can take the bike anywhere, and it charges you for your time or whatever. And they're, I, I have to admit, like it is a pretty cool service to give people the ability to be mobile like that. And it it plays into this whole... Like the ride-sharing economy where people are just trying to get where they need to go without having to be hassled by it. And you can hop on a scooter or on a bike very easily and kind of instantly increase your area that you can kind of be in while you're just on foot. And as someone who has been active on a bike for several years now, I, I understand sort of what you're feeling and like the sense of freedom because you, it, it is very freeing to have a bike in a small area where parking's a fucking a total bitch. And it's, it's just easier to be on a bicycle, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you're, it, it just, you can be, you're in this little local area, but now that local area is bigger and you kind of feel like you're in control of the neighborhood yeah. in that way. Um, but with these bikes and stuff, like I, I just want to know how they're going to solve for problems where like, what if somebody like takes this fucking thing onto a highway, you know, and, or like just starts throwing them in random places and hiding them and whatnot. And my, my head always goes to like bad actors. Like, what are they going to do? And and then my whole, my thing with the top three that we're going to do later is like, I just think it's mostly young people on these scooters. I just think we look fucking ridiculous. (laughs) You got all of these like basically young hipsters flying around a new micro brews on the fucking drag on their scooters. I'm like, this is just a, an ad for millennials, <laughs> dude. This is, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I will admit that there was like a healthy amount of like self-awareness riding around on them yeah. because like every once in a while you just saw on people's faces that were just like walking on the path or whatever. Like, yeah. What a fucking douche. You know? Right, yeah, like, dude, and that's <laughs> But at the same time, me. you're like, all right, see you, dude. I'll, yeah, exactly. I'm going to cover five miles in like three minutes. I do, I do think they're great because I, like, I just think they allow you to live, just have more freedom, you know, and, and, at, a, and at no cost to you except for $3. You don't have to maintain the scooter, keep it in your house or anything. I don't know what happens if there's not one near you 
or yeah. whatever. Like if you're just out of luck because you can't find these things, but you know, yeah, they're cool. I just think they look funny. <laughs> it was kind of like a, a physical form of Pokemon Go as well because on the app, it like shows you GPS, like where mm. nearby scooters are and stuff and how yeah. much battery percentage they have. And so we're like going to random alley corners and shit, which, you know, again, is kind of like a security issue. You're like, oh man, like right. I could totally get lured into some BS here. But, uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. You're like, I have no idea where I am. There's the scooter. <laughs> yeah. There we uh, go. <laughs> We found him. But uh, yeah, no, it was fun. That's cool. Well, I am glad you enjoyed that. I'll round us out with, um, I got one more news story for us. And I'll just kind of briefly talk about it because I don't have much like insight. I just thought it was a headline that uh, kind of deserved some attention. And this one comes from Wired. The headline is encrypted email has a major divisive flaw. Hmm. And it reads, the ubiquitous email encryption schemes, PGP and MIME, are vulnerable to attack, according to a group of German and Belgian researchers who posted their findings on Monday. So that's today. So this just came out. The weakness could allow a hacker to expose plain text versions of encrypted messages, a nightmare scenario for users who rely on encrypted email to protect their privacy, security, and safety. The weakness, dubbed e-fail, emerges when an attacker who has already managed to intercept your encrypted emails manipulates how the message will process its HTML elements like images and multimedia styling. And it's a pretty long article that really goes into how they figured out this backdoor on this encryption. But the main point that I want to talk to you about is just there's what it looks like, uh, what the article explains is there's two main types of encryption on email that are extremely popular that basically encrypts most average everyday email and we've just discovered a major flaw in it. And I wanted to kind of maybe use it as a more of a conversation point about how you feel about Internet security, because um, I know I increasingly feel like everything I do on the Internet is not even just susceptible, but will almost come back to bite me. Like, yeah. I feel at, at this point, a lot of the stuff that we've been building on is kind of aging almost and. I just wanted to get your your take on it all. I think that is going to be a very interesting question going into the future. You know, like yeah. almost, I feel like I'm getting way more emails regularly from services that I'm being provided talking about my data privacy and that kind of thing, which I should be taking more time to read all of that shit. Yeah. And there's a reason for that in particular. Like uh, the European Union is passing a very comprehensive law about privacy, data privacy. And since most of these companies are international, it's forcing them to update their policies uh, across the board. And honestly, by the, I've had to uh, actually work and, and learn about this through my own job. And as a consumer, I'm actually happy that this is happening because the laws that are being laid out over there, I think are good. And it's, it's like a nice effect that everyone else basically has to play by those rules because you're just sort of doing the least common denominator of work. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and like, you know, one of the things that ended up happening in last season's uh, South Park episodes was that there was this impending doom about everybody's internet history being public for everybody else on the internet. Yeah, baby. And it was just such a fascinating, because like I had always kind of like wondered like, what if somebody found my stuff? But then it's like, what if everybody knew everything about everybody else's internet history? Like, you could right. easily just, you know, have access to other things or, you know, hack into whatever. And I, it's, cra it's crazy to think how 
weird of a like societal one like backlash or reaction would happen to that like how naked you would feel but then also just like how kind of paranoid but not allowed to be paranoid you'd have to be on the internet you know it's like oh like you know i think everyone wants to have privacy but not be like surveilled but it's like if everything's open on the internet and people can hack into your stuff you you just kind of assume you're being surveilled <laughs> but right yeah i don't know yeah and it's shitty cuz if if everyone's information was out there and open it could get to the point where people were callous about it and it wasn't a social thing anymore. Or you would realize that people start like self-policing their own behavior and feel like they literally can't, they can't use the technology the way that they would if they were freely using it. And then that gets in the territory of like, um, surveillance, literally like limiting freedom, even though that's technically not what it's doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, anything that gets us to a point where we can't, we feel like we can't have private thoughts. Like that's super scary, you know? Well, you wonder, I mean, like, because it's probably, you can make an argument that people are already acting in a way that isn't, you know, or at least most people aren't acting in a way online that is like uh, genuine, genuine or, or what you would maybe even consider as like just free expression. Right. Like I think you already like, you know, if I put something on social media, my mom will come to me five minutes later and be like, Hey, I think you need to double think about that. And, and like that used to really bother me. Like I've come to kind of appreciate it because especially when I look back at like my quote unquote memories from like five years ago and I like something I posted, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? And like, (laughs) I kind of appreciate somebody looking out for those sorts of moments. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird to think that like, um, you know, it's it's kind of like the same thing as what we talk about as being on the podcast, like being behind the mic or being on camera, being on the Internet is almost turning into another form of like performance in a way like, oh, yeah. like this is the thing that I post and this is the thing that I do or say. And like everyone can judge me kind of based off of those right. things. Yeah. This always stuck with me years ago when I was first got into college and we were talking about Facebook. And of course, this is now years ago. And at this point. And it may even still be this way on Facebook, but the little the little um, text field where you can enter your status, the message there was, "What's on your mind?" question mark mm-hmm. And I remember my professor saying, "Can you imagine if what was really on people's minds was put into Facebook?" And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're right. No one is being honest on this thing. You know? <laughs> like." What you really think, that's not what goes into that field. Is this what is like actually on your mind? Super like extra filtered version of something you're allowing people to see you thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's like nine so. layers of curation. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. That was a good one. Yeah, that's that's all I have. If Hunter, if there's anything else you want to talk about, feel free. But if not, I am happy to uh, roll in the halftime. I have one more thing. It's a split between two smaller things. Um I saw just like a video of these guys saying that there's like this updated uh, patch slash like new version of The Witcher Three out, and it's like the essential, oh, the like enhanced edition, and it's basically this thing where it's like enhancing not only like HDR like high def resolution mm. for the game, but it's also changing something that I know you've noted on. Like I know you didn't like the combat. Um, yeah. I think it changes a lot of the core mechanics related to the combat. And it also does this thing with the characters where traditionally, 
you know, if I come across a wolf at the beginning of the game, it'll be like level one. And then when I'm 50 levels stronger, then the wolf will be level 35. Yeah. And now it's like this, the enhanced edition has kind of this consistent leveling effect where like all wolves are the same level all humans oh, are the I same level yeah and I, yeah i was kind of wondering like one if you think that's kind of cool two like would that make you kind of want to get re-sparked if you're somebody like me who's already finished it and right. then uh yeah and then I, after that i have another patch update that i also to talk about a uh, quick question do you know if this patch is being um being distributed by the developer or is this a, a community mod so i think it's more so of a community mod okay i was just curious um but no personally like yeah anything you know hdr mods that make the game pretty are always great but for me when you talk about moving things to like having these static levels for all creatures and you feel like you're kind of going up a ladder you know it it there's a very particular reason why the developer made the decisions they made in, in making the game level with you, and that's to create a balanced experience across the entirety of the the playtime in every area, right? Mm -hmm. But for me personally, I am more of a fan of like the role-playing fantasy side of it. And so seeing that more like kind of real life growth of like, yeah, now I'm a badass, humans don't fuck with me, these monsters don't even fuck with me. <laughs> That's really satisfying to me personally because it kind of fulfills that Witcher fantasy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, like, I hate to say it. It's one of those things that, you know, you're ashamed of when you're video gaming. But, like, I always wanted to be Geralt and be in the city and, like, fuck with guards. You know, like, guards right, that yeah. you run by that talk shit to you. And then you're like, no, I'm going to, like, I'm going to melt your face, right? <laughs> and then, like... But it doesn't matter when you're in the, you know, traditional version of the game because no matter how high you level up, they're always 30 levels higher than you. Exactly. And it's like, it's a huge deterrent from you ever messing with anyone. Whereas, like, if I was a level 50 and every human was a level 40, like, I would be able to really do some damage and it would be, totally. I think, more fun. But exactly. I mean, it would... It would break the game in terms of how it's originally designed, but when you're this far into a game like The Witcher, it's okay. Like people are at the point now where like they they want to tip the scales in different ways because it's going to change the play experience, and they need that change because they've done everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. And then on, also on the patch related front, um, I'm pretty sure that DBFZ had a patch. It and did? I think I was looking at a video from Maximilian Dude. Break right. it down. And, Which, by uh, the way, I love that you've been talking to me about certain channels you're watching, and I'm like, he's already found himself in the prominent <laughs> FGC community by his own desire to learn DBFZ. I love it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. When you when you search sell combos, <laughs> it'll lead you to some good spots. Uh, but. But yeah, he was just talking about how the the three main, I guess, nerfs maybe. I know you don't maybe like that word, but at least moderations were um, related to Android 16, Vegeta's yeah. assist, and adult Gohan, particularly with his like air kicks that I've seen Goichi have this crazy... I've never even come close to being able to nail that freaking combo, but when you're yeah. in the corner, your ultimate Gohan, you just do air kicks on the side. Um I was wondering what you thought about the idea that, you know, you had these kind of like notching down of certain characters as opposed to, I think a lot of people were expecting like this big overhaul for a lot yes. of meta to happen. I was kind of wondering yeah. if you thought it was a good patch or what your thoughts were. I think they totally just 
misdirected us in what their communication was before the patch went out because they very much made it seem like a lot of changes were coming. And as you noted, it was pretty minor. Like I thought we were getting a lot of systemic changes (laughs) and I thought that like Frieza was going to get new combo (laughs) routes and stuff. But a lot of the changes they made were just basically bug fixes. And then they nerfed heavily. They fucking really chopped up Android 16 and I, haven't gotten to play against him since the patch, uh, and I really am curious to because goddamn they made some changes to him. And I, I yeah. think, I think they were for the better. I hope that he still has enough of his strengths to make him beefy. You know, like I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out yet uh, because they really did make a lot of changes with him. And then uh, with adult Gohan's changes, they seemed a little more fair in just how they were kind of dispersed, but. You know, they, there was a lot of people who wanted Cell to get nerfed, and Cell basically didn't get touched. And I just, I honestly don't have much of opinion because my whole approach is I would rather overcome mm-hmm. a character's uh, strengths than like see them get nerfed. And I would rather the rest of the cast get a buff than big characters get nerfed. I do think in the case of sixteen, like honestly, like I don't like to complain, but. Playing Max, there were several times where I was like, "This character is fucking stupid." You know, <laughs> yeah. like this is dumb. That's what, and I think that's kind of what everyone thought. I was actually, um, I watched a couple of uh, tier reviews, and mm-hmm. I watched one with uh, Leffen, and yeah. and he he basically like did the whole cast, and then at the very end he did uh, sixteen, and he was like, "This is just such a stupid, ridiculous, <laughs> horrible character design." And I was like, "Whoa! Like this guy really means this shit." Yeah. Um, and it's funny too because like you know I've been playing Chase. I'm at now at I have like a three hundred and twenty games, and Dude. I'm at forty eight percent wins, and I've Let's just been go. slowly, so diligently and slowly. Notching up toward that fifty percent mark that I've been trying yeah, to read, but it's been very tumultuous because I'll have three losses in a row because I can't yeah. like fight noobs anymore. And but anyway, yeah, like I'm I'm getting to the point where um, I'm playing a good amount, and I actually don't run into Android sixteen that much, even though like yeah, when see, I do, I kind of just get owned. But it's like you know, sure. Yeah, that's the other thing is I don't really see him much either, but you know it's. It's indisputable when you look at the the top four finishes at every tournament and you see the same characters, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff you don't want to see. But yeah, man, let's let's keep the DBFC talk going. I think it's amazing that you are probably the one playing it the most out of our group. I've been a little, uh, I've been away from it because I've been playing God of War, and we can kind of maybe talk about that at the oh, back half. Man. But I'm excited to get back to it, man. So let's take a time for some half, okay? Half time, okay. If you want to keep up with the show after the microphones have turned off, be sure to follow us on social media by searching Witty Banter Show on Twitter and Instagram and liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Witty Banter Podcast. Want to steer the conversation or be a part of the show? Just go on down to wittybantershow.com and leave us a suggestion for a beer or a question for us to answer on the show. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support the cause, head on over to iTunes and leave a review and feel free to share it with your friends. Let's get back to it. Hunter, welcome back to the show. Audience, you can stay too. Um, <laughs> what do you think? How's this, how's this winter beer compared to the last one? I had myself a, uh, a nice long sip and think just now. And um, it's kind of has like attributes that are kind of like a red ale 
You know, it's kind of like spiced. It has like a certain spice that I don't know what the when I think of a red ale, I don't know what the specific spice is, but like I'm like that's a red ale. Yeah. Um, it kind of has that, and I think that is what I'm getting more so than these like real Christmassy feeling spices. Like it's right. more of like a traditional beer spice as opposed to holiday haha glee glee spice. Um, it's it has a little bit of like booziness to it, like. I think the alcohol has like a definitive kick where it's not just like, oh, this is a lot of body and it's like, um, by the way, they don't have the ABV on here, which is a mess Always, up. I know that makes you happy. But uh, but it's like, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't know how much uh, alcohol by volume this is, but I would guess it's in the seven or eight and it's not just like a big body alcohol feel, but it's kind of like, it like pokes its head in like, oh yeah, I'm alcoholic. You know, um, right. So it's pretty good, though. I it's definitely a little different than I thought it would be. So and it's not bad. So yeah. Right on. This wine is legitimately fucking delicious. <laughs> I love it. It's so when you when you taste wine, what you want to kind of look for that will differentiate whether or not you've got like a something good or maybe something a little bit more everyday is. Basically, just how long the flavor and even the feel of it will hang around in your mouth. Like, the longer it lasts, just the better it is, is basically how it goes. And when you smell this wine, it's, you know, it's a deep reddish purple. You know, it's it's a pretty dark red. It has, it smells like plum and like fig and like really deep, and like blackberry, like really deep fruity aromas. And then when you drink it, it's not super heavy but it it's it's robust enough and it's got some tannins to it and how you kind of how you can feel it feel tannin is it'll make your it almost dry your tongue out like it'll make your tongue almost feel like fuzzy like furry yeah yeah because like the alcohol is like literally drying on your tongue <laughs> um yeah and it's got a, it's got some good acidity to it as well and like you can really feel acidity and wines around the rim of your tongue and acidity is is good for food. If you have a very acidic wine, it brings out flavors in food. So this one would make a, a really good um, food wine as well. And when you just put all of those things kind of together, you're just you're basically just checking boxes off of what makes a, an impressive <laughs> wine, right? Yeah. Um, so I've yeah, I'm really enjoying this one, dude. It's a good one to start with for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm liking your review skills, man. I can definitely tell that got a little TD in you. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been inundated with it for much <laughs> for of my, my whole adult life. life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Hunter, uh, you were bringing the uh, segment today, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Okay, man. I texted you shortly before the show saying I wanted to do a top three. Top three! And the top three that I'm doing today is for things that I don't understand and and or... I don't understand why they are as important or relevant as they are. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a general thing where I have one that my third option is actually going to be like the, the, the thing that I think most encompasses what I'm trying to get at to try and give us the boundaries of things that we're discussing. But generally, just um, things that you don't get generally or you don't understand or conceptually, they just kind of baffle you how it works. Um, right. I'll kick us off since I, I have a little bit of a, uh, you know, obtuse <laughs> prompt here. 
but so, so my first one, the general category is art, but the underlying is I don't understand high fashion. I don't, okay. and I also don't understand like contemporary art in a lot, like, or I don't think that that's a specific enough title, but I went to a contemporary art museum and most of that stuff, I was like, I don't get this. Right. Um, and I think it just the idea, the idea of kind of like, yes, I understand that there's some sort of expertise that makes something like good art and like it all comes together and like it is this thing, right? Like, you know, you hear music, you hear like a random piano verse or melody and you hear a random vocal and you're like, that's not really that great. But then you put it all together and like, that's something. That's this thing that came together and it sounds great. But... There's I don't, a cohesion to it. Yeah. Or it's, it becomes bigger than a sum of its parts. And I don't get that for high high fashion and a lot of the contemporary art. Like I went to the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA and Manny and I would kind of just look at it for a good bit and be like, I know this is here for a reason. I looked at like a Jackson Pollock painting of a mm. bunch of splotches and yeah. there's a quote in the corner that says, it's just absolute perfection. And you're just like, right. I'm sure it is, but I don't get why. And particularly mm-hmm. high fashion, because I'm like, I watch people walk up and down and I'm like, I can't tell what makes this like truly like good high fashion or whatever, or just kind of pretentious and silly and ridiculous. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's the one that I kind of was thinking of the prompt. Like, I just don't get it. I don't understand those things. I have less of a touchstone with high fashion. And I think what's going on there is there is the artistry. Like, I think design, when you take that word. And it can be applied to so many different things, but design itself is, I think, a field of study mm-hmm. and something that takes a lot of skill to be good at. And when you when it is good, you don't necessarily even know that it's good because it's that good, right? <laughs> and I think that there is a high degree of design chops that happens in high fashion. I think there's a high degree of like craft and like uh, just technique in the creation of these clothes. But then you also do have that really silly side of it where it maybe even starts to bleed into that same feeling that you're getting at with contemporary art where it's just like, this is fucking silly. Like, (laughs) I don't I don't get it. Right. Yeah. Getting it using those words exactly really gets at the heart of what we talked about in the greatest game for a period of time where most people in the world, at least in Western tradition, really do feel like art is there to deliver a message that there will be something to get. Mm -hmm. And I personally have, um, I didn't even really recognize that that was the case until recently. And now I'm really trying to strive to not let allow that to be my dominant mode of trying to understand something and trying to instead just, what is the experience like while I'm engaging with it? But with contemporary art, what I am looking for, what I've been learning a whole lot about what it means for something to be contemporary is you want to see a combination of techniques that have never been used before because it's new. It's mm. a new technique. Mm-hmm. You want to see and, the, and you want to like these three things kind of come in different ratios, right? You want to see maybe new materials. So things that have never been used to make the art before. Um, and in particular, and then, and then lastly, maybe, uh, different ideas and like concepts that have never been, um, explored before, or this art would never make sense in our current historical sociological context. Like there's something here that makes sense because it's happening right here in the present. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so you really just, it's a, it's a combination of all those things. Um, and that's, that's where my mind goes to, but no, I understand like, especially with, um, I can't remember the name, but when it's just like a big red circle in a, in a green square (laughs) and you're like, why is this in here? You know, like, or like there was a whole like section There'd be whole sections of a of a part of the museum that I'm just like I don't get how this is in this museum, you know, like yeah, like it would like be purposefully look like a child drew it in 13 yep. minutes, and you know you're like I get that this is it's supposed to be important. I guess I just need somebody to explain to me a lot more behind why it's important. Right, and but, I think it's perfectly acceptable, Hunter. It's me personally with my own outlook on art to say this is not art. Hmm. Um, I know a lot of people like, uh, Max Kelleher has the idea that his, 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 he has a very democratic view of it where all of that would be art. And he's more about discerning like what's good and what's not good. I think it's perfectly acceptable to say that the, that stuff is not art. And I think it is fun. Like with Pollock, whenever I saw it in textbooks, I didn't get it. But the first time I saw a Jackson Pollock painting in person, there was something to where I was like, I kind of see it now. Like I understand at least why this is important in the in 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 arts um in in arts evolution like it moved it moved things forward for a variety of reasons so on and so forth but no i that's i think that's a really good one to start with because it is something that i think a lot of people feel you know yeah yep okay cool what's your number three the fucking big bang theory you how mean do the people show watch or? that? Yeah. How do people watch that goddamn show? <laughs> You're dude? talking about the theory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. And even to even go beyond that, I mean, it's interesting how there's this like different sorts of nerd culture where like that is like this weird, purposeful nerd culture that I don't think is very genuine feeling. Well, that's the thing is nerd culture is now pop culture. Period. It's like, oh, like, I can say something about a quadratic equation within the scope of this, you know, sociological thing, and that makes it funny. You know, it's like, I just have never dumb, you know, (laughs) I've never once laughed at that show. And I've seen YouTube videos where they take away the laugh tracks. And no, (laughs) it's like awful. (laughs) And I shit you not, you don't know where the punchlines are. Yeah. There's just no telling. Yep. And that show has got, it's like on its 12th season, dude. And people fuck it. And every time I see a Bazinga shirt, I'm just baffled. <laughs> I don't get it. I think that's great, man. Because like, because like, yeah, I, there's a couple other shows that I think have caught on in uh, the same, a similar vein of that kind of comedy. But, you know, like I think a similar thing happened with Silicon Valley, but I think it's Silicon Valley is like, a little better made and like has yeah. way better jokes and like more it's relevance. It's hilarious. Yeah. But it's comedic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, so that's, that's a version of that strain of humor that I find to be a bit more genuine, but yeah, big bang theory. I'm right there with you, man. All right, dude. Well, let's hear your number two. Let's see what you got. So, um, I guess for whatever reason I have these like broad, uh, answers and then a specific instance of that. So, my broad one is the internet slash uh, computers, 
right? Okay. Just like trying to, I was thinking, I always think about things in terms of like describing it to Benjamin Franklin or George Washington or something. <laughs> and I just think the idea of trying to be like, well, you have these like receptors called routers and they send bits of data to another router and then that makes zeros this and network. Ones. Yeah, zeros and ones to other routers. And those zeros and ones are data that are interpreted and they make visuals on the screen and you know, it's like yeah i just think like all this stuff it gets so ridiculous and then thinking about the internet from a conceptual almost like a physical standpoint is kind of funny like where in space time all of these websites and shit are right so They're generally servers. Yeah. generally i think that's just kind of uh, really hard to conceptualize or understand and then specifically i think it's really funny how there is like this sort of meta of like comedic humor um, or things that end up be going viral. The thing Culture. that I don't really get is like, how do things go viral? Like, yeah, I'm sure there is a formula that like there is gener now. that generally makes things go more viral. But I ultimately think also that there is this sort of like meta consciousness or something that happens where like one person's because like you had a kid the other day that just yodels in Walmart for two minutes and now he's like a huge person going across he's a star. Yeah, yeah he's a star and you're like how does that happen or like <laughs> whenever I was like working really hard on my solo music career and yeah. I was like you know I put you know, hundreds of hours into this song and I was like man I was I think it's decent I don't know if other people will dig it or whatever you put it out on YouTube you feel vulnerable you get like seven listens and you're like oh yeah cool and then you look up and you have like next to your related video like a person horribly singing in the shower and they, that's all their videos are like horribly singing in the shower and they have 50,000 views. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, like, <laughs> how does this exist? You know, like why did this get 50,000 views? Um, so yeah, I, I just think what makes things go viral is kind of funny and uh, intangible, you know? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Cause I am totally out of touch with it. Like there are just ways to be good at getting popular on the internet. And at first I think it was just lightning in a bottle, but now <laughs> it is at this point where like people are engineering these things. They know that like everything they put out might not be a hit, but everything's a candidate for it to fucking blow up. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've, I'm friends with some people who have gotten their tweets retweeted like a hot, you know, a couple thousand times or whatever the fuck. And you're just like that really like that was what did it, you know? And it's just, <laughs> It is this weird, just perfect encapsulation of the right place at the right time. And you were looking for it. I think you got to be looking for it now, you know, yeah. Some, and you know, there's still true viral shit out there, but you can kind of engineer it, you know? Yeah. Cause I what like, that engineering is. I, I feel know. like back in the day, like whenever you, whenever you make music and stuff, you'd make a song or an album, you know, nine out of 10 songs on your album would be good and it would be your stuff. But then that one song y'all were jamming real hard. Or you were just like, you know, like it's, you could either, either think like, yes, this is definitely going to work or like you have no idea it's going to be a single, but that thing ends up blowing up and everyone has that song stuck in their head forever. Right. And like, you know, like Jack White and Seven Nation Army, right? People exactly. are singing Seven Nation Army at soccer games all over the world for the rest of eternity now. It's, it's crazy. like, what made that happen? <laughs> and see, that's, and that's the thing about the word culture is like, that is exactly what that has become is like this shared meaning across people where those tones are now understood amongst people and it is culture. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? Yep. So that's my number two. All right, dude, my number two is going to make me sound like 
an old man, but I truly don't understand where I know what it is in the sense that when it happens, I can tell you what it is, but I don't know where it came from. And that is dabbing. I don't get it. (laughs) I don't know where it started, who started it and why it's now every time someone is shown on the uh, sports arena screen, the kids are dabbing, you know? Yeah. You know, I kind of, Part of me, I haven't really thought about it in depth, but when I think of the tip of the tongue, what I think of where dabbing might have come from, you know, there was always kind of like the supportive hype man point gesture. Like there was actually a guy that was in WWF wrestling. I think his name was Scott Hall. And one of his signs would he would like put his right hand and his left hand over the top of his head, kind of pointing in the same direction. (laughs) And especially when he had like a tag team partner, you know, like the tag team partner would like go out and do his signature thing. And Scott Hall would be like pointing at him. And that was his signature thing. Right. And so, um, I also think that like, whenever you like have somebody that you're around that you're hyped about, like you kind of like point to that person. You're like, what's up? So I kind of think that that might be what the dab is derivative of. Like okay. it's kind of like, oh, you know, yeah. Um, but I can see that. But but as far as like the tucking your head in your arm and the extension and kind of like why that became popular, like who fucking knows? I mean, there was a thing at one point where it was like rappers would clap their hands and rub them, like in between oh, phrases yeah. and stuff. I know stuff. exactly what you're talking <laughs> you about. <laughs> Getting that, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think the dab is just one of those, another one of those inexplicable cultural phenomenons that happen, like the stanky leg or whatever. Right. <laughs> well, the stanky leg is like a funny dance. I don't know what the fuck the dab is, but... The dab is like a pose. And yeah. I think you have prominent figures that just, like, make something... It's the same way that you have kids in your high school that, like, say something like, varsity, and then that becomes yep. funny, right? And yep. then that's, like, the thing that your high school does. <laughs> It's funny, dude, because like whenever I was in uh, college and I had uh, pledge brothers that were from all over Texas and even the nation, it's just funny, man. Like sometimes you'd be like, man, those Arlington Lamar kids are kind of weird, you know, because like they yeah. had this weird culture that came just, about because. Yeah, this inbreeding. Yeah. Of <laughs> Woodlands had a little bit of that, you know, but I think we were able to break out from it because we were tired of it. By the time we were leaving so what's school. your number one, dude? What do you not get? So. In line with all of my uh, my studying of cryptocurrencies and blockchain and stuff, mm-hmm. one thing that I thought has been really funny to think about um, has been a common argument that's used against like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I guess I feel like it's just this silly posit, but at the same time, I truly don't understand like what the argument truly is if you keep asking why, which is yeah. the idea of intrinsic value. Um, because if you think about the word like value, like how do you value this? Or like, what is the value of that? Um, it's, I know you don't like relativistic terms, but I feel like it really is. Value is a pure expression of relativism. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Relativism. And it's funny because even when you look up the idea of intrinsic value, it's kind of like this weird, like circular referencing thing. Like, Like, this is what, when I look up intrinsic value, the first thing that says, this is the definition. The intrinsic value is the actual value of a company or an asset 
based on an underlying perception of its true value, <laughs> including all aspects of its business. Right. And well, it's like it, they basically are using. I kind of get what they're saying. Well, it's like, but what is the true value of something? Like, would you think in that definition they're talking about like the actual assets? Like, if you were to sell each of them and then. The intrinsic value is the perception of what that would be. Right. And then uh, from a company standpoint, I kind of get that because you have quantitative measures to kind of go off of. Yeah. But when I think about it deeper, it's like, what are the quantitative measures being based off of? Right. Like, like uh, when you say something like, what is the value of a dollar or like, what is the intrinsic value of gold? Right. Like that's one of the biggest things against Bitcoin is like, you know, gold's got a finite resource amount and like it can be used for all these different things but it's like you know i'm a millennial and for the first time i think in like three thousand years we don't i don't give a shit about gold (laughs) i don't know i don't Mm -hmm. i don't really like i know gold can be used for stuff but it's not going to be used for anything that i have so it's intrinsic value to me is now way down from what it has been over time what could be arbitrarily or not arbitrarily. You know, it's just like, I think intrinsic value is this funny concept of like, oh, it's this thing that means what something's truly worth as opposed to what it's, what, conceptually worth? (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's so easily exacerbated by the fact that blockchain or like uh, cryptocurrencies are so unapologetically just numbers in a machine, essentially, you know, like... I think a lot of people do have at least some hold that they know that their money equals physical dollar bills or whatever the fuck it is. Even though most of people view money now as just a number on a screen, just like you would cryptocurrency. But I, I under like I understand what you mean in the sense that even when I'm doing my research now, I hear that term all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's even something to that where it's just like the more you hear it, the more you're like, what does this even mean? Because if it means a lot, it begins to mean a little, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's just like the term value and intrinsic value don't really mean anything different to me. It's, it, it's always the subjective nat- nature with which you think somebody is or something is more or less important or like relevant to you, I guess. Yeah. And, but that is, that is going to change depending on whatever subject matter you're comparing it against. Right. And so I think it's kind of weird to think of like this, you know, one of the hard facts of life is that like nothing is truly objective. So when you think about things and value and like quantitatively trying to nail something down, you really get the conceptual idea of value. It's just interesting because it's like, I don't think anything has a true value. <laughs> it it is always, life? yeah, it always changes, right? So, Well, I'll, th- I'll just throw this one out there. I had a few more on the list. I didn't know where I was going to go with this, but I will say, so I'm, I'm in San Diego. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of tattoo culture here because there's um, just a lot of tattoo artists. And I think it's because we have like a really big Navy presence. So a lot of tattoos. Yep. Uh, I don't fucking understand face tats. Why would you tattoo your face? I can't really imagine there's ever a good answer for that. Yeah. Um, when I see a face tat immediately, I'm not like, Oh, what do you, what do you have on your face? I'm like, <laughs> What the fuck did you, why did you do that? Or I'm afraid of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the, uh, maybe the afraid of you thing is what they're going for. You know, maybe that's Could the why. Be, and that scares me even more. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think it's something that I don't get. Is it something that I just more disagree with? <laughs> like, I, there's just something I like because I don't even think I'm ever going to get a tattoo anyway. I also don't think I'm ever going to get a piercing. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I have my own kind of like. Well, I don't really see why I would want to or need to do that. Um, maybe if something really like tragic or like something I really, really, really wanted to remember that I wanted to like, just, uh, just unapologetically make a part of my life, you know, I, but I don't think I have anything that's like that. <laughs> I don't think I have anything right. that I'm so deeply involved in that I have to print it on myself and look at it every day and have everybody look at it for them to identify me by or whatever. But, sure. and it's also weird that it's something that, um, you know, you get tattoo and you like it and then you just keep doing it. Like, it's like one of those things, like, I think a lot of people, may have not have intended to really get sucked into like, oh, like I'm really into tattoos and getting tattoos, but it's, it's almost something that's like a, uh, it can be a hobby, you know? Oh, absolutely. People could, there's, I know a lot of people who are serious about it who they call it, they call themselves collectors. Like they collect them. You yeah. Know, it's, it's an investment. It's, it's artwork to them. And you know, there's a whole range of gamut there, but yeah, man. Is there, tattoos. is there any other, uh, what is the second most you don't get tattoo location? the neck you know like just right <laughs> down a little bit <laughs> yeah I, I mean i've seen people get yeah you get the it's kind of cool thing but people like tattooing the inside of their lips Don't or um you know putting tattooing rings on your fingers i think is really stupid <laughs> i see that a lot i don't know man that might be more uh I might find more value in that than actually buying a ring. Well, I guess if you're doing it for that purpose. <laughs> I just mean like you can lose a ring uh-huh. and I think it'd be harder to design exactly how you want a ring to look. But if you had like a really cool tattoo design that you were just like, well, I would, I would wear this on me all the time anyways, but at least this way I won't lose it. You know, I, I could see that argument. Gotcha. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you for the top three. Um, Hunter, we we have a couple emails that are building up, but I think we can actually save them and maybe even spin one into an, a segment next week since we're running a little bit over an hour here. So, what do you think about just uh, zipping the show up and uh, giving your your last thoughts on the beer? We can do that, man. Go cold cold turkey on the emails. Yeah. Um, the beer is good. Like I was saying, I mean, even though it's kind of warmed up a little bit, I don't think, um, you know. Some of the blotty, blotty, blah stuff that I uh, did not read earlier on their can says, pleasant yet complex aromas and flavors of raisin, ripe berry, cinnamon, vanilla, clove. You know, it's like, I just don't get all of that. I, I mean, I, I think it's, I almost would rather them make it seem a little simpler than they're making it out to be. Like, sure. Because it, it doesn't come across as this crazy, like all these different flavors, super Christmassy beer. I think you can market it how you want to, but I think it's a little more, um, a little less festive than I thought, and a little more of just like a normal beer with certain hints of stuff that you can kind of draw from. But it's still good. I don't have any problem with it. Right on. So, is this like? Do you think you'll ever order it again, or or is this you kind of you happen to be done with this one? Um, I give it kind of like a. It's not a grimace. But it's a little bit of a De Niro face with like a eyebrows raised, you yeah. know, like I'm, hmm. I don't yeah. think I don't think if I see it on the uh, 
on the beer menu wherever I go that I'm like, gotta have that. Yeah, not impressed. <laughs> All right, man. This this wine is fa- is absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It's for me like personally i i I think on the whole prefer white wine because you can drink it by itself much easier and i i really like where um just the flavors that a lot of white wines have to offer this is a red that you can drink on its own which is really nice because i think a lot of the times you do kind of need food to drink with the with really big or good reds um but this one would also i can tell just be great with food because of its acidity and it's also just it 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 smells much heavier than it feels, and it's got kind of a lightness to it, almost like a creaminess in just how it feels on your palate. But there's still that like stone fruit, dark um, f- fruity flavors that that come through, and there's even a little bit of earthiness to it, like a um, the way that I envision earthiness, and it sounds kind of gross. And this is usually what happens with with wine descriptors is they sound like, why would you want that in your mouth? But the more you kind of think of them, they, they make sense. It almost sounds like, I mean, it, it almost has a taste of, of just like the, um, like the, like a, like a forest floor, like a dirt, like, like dead leaves almost. Right. Like there's, or mushrooms, like there's an earthiness there. And like I said, I know it sounds goofy, but, um, so it, it's just a very complex wine, and it's it's been super enjoyable. I've I've really liked it. Sounds great. What is what is the uh, the name slash vintage? It is an Unti, and that's the winery U N T I, and it's just their Sangiovese, and that's just a great. Awesome, yeah. It's not the first time that you've used a floor to describe it. <laughs> yeah. It's not always the best. You're like. Tastes like a bathroom floor, and I'm like, I don't know what that tastes. That was more like. of a joke, though. I thought that one was just funny. It was funny. I think about it a lot. Um, all right. Well, that's been Witty Banter episode number 153. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of our episodes on our website, which is wittybantershow.com, and we are also on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. If you just search Witty Banter on there. Hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. You can keep up with us on social media. We are at Witty Banter Show. I am at Bodacious Chase. Max, who's not here today, is at Probably Max. And lastly, Hunter is making YouTube videos about cryptocurrency on YouTube under the channel Crypto Diesel. So go follow and subscribe that channel there. Hunter, it's been enjoyable. Good to have you back. And uh, we'll see you all next time. It's been a pleasure, sir. Bit of bit of bit of bit of.